How many of you have ever been in a uh, valley? How many of you are in a valley today? Well, there's some honest people. Whole row. What is it about that row? <laughs> Let's uh, stand together. And I'm going to begin a series today I'm calling The Battlefield. And I'm going to talk to you today about the devil's bully. The devil's bully. Now, remember, the, the, the Bible says that the Old Testament was given to us, the historical accounts and so on and so forth, so that we would have physical pictures of spiritual truth. And one of the great pictures we have is the battle between David and Goliath. And so I'm going to read, if you have your Bible with you, hold it up and let's, let's give it a wave. Say with me, I brought my sword. If you don't have your sword with you, that's okay today. But let's bring our Bibles because, hey, this is our manna. It's our sword. It's our truth. It is our guide. It's the very word of God. Amen. And turn to 1 Samuel 17 verses 1 to 3. And those of you that don't have a Bible, we've got it for you right up here on the screen. And let me read three verses. This is the beginning of the battle. This is when Goliath first shows up. And look what it says. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. I'm dropping down to verse 2 because you don't care about these places where they were. And I can't pronounce them. <laughs> verse 2. All you need to know is the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. Verse 2. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together. And they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side. And there was a valley between them. So verse 2 and 3 tells us this battle happened in a valley. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. There are people here today that are fighting Goliaths in their own private personal lives. And Lord, it's on the line. Their future, their destiny. And others of us, Lord, are making it so well in some areas, but there's a Goliath in an area that is defeating us and we're discouraged. And I pray that today you will speak. I pray you will minister. I pray that truth will penetrate. I pray that, Lord, you will transform us renovate us, build us up in the faith. And I thank you for it. Can you breathe a prayer, church, and say, speak to me today, Lord. In Jesus' name, I receive it. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, your Goliath is defeated. Your Goliath is defeated. If you were to ask somebody from our generation about famous fights, I'm not much into watching fighting, but, but even I knew about these fights. If you were to say, you know, what, what fights come to mind that have been famous in our day? Well, surely, and I remember this one, smoking Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali. It was called worldwide. It was billed as the fight, the fight. And uh, it happened on March 8th, 1971, Frazier was the winner with a devastating left hook, and that was the end of that one. But there were more, a couple more. You might have heard about the fight of the millennium. So notice it went from the fight to the fight of the millennium between Felix Trinidad and Oscar de la Hoya. 
Trinidad won that one on a judgment call. And then more recently, there was the bout between Floyd Mayweather Jr. and Manny Pacquiao. I want it so bad to say Pacquiao, but I knew you would teach me. Pacquiao. And that one was called the fight of the century. You know that Mayweather walked away with $80 million? No, I take it back, $180 million. $180 million. Now, I would get in the ring for that. Right? $180 million for one night. Oh, we're in the wrong business. What you want to be sure of is 10 years after the fight, you can still remember things. But I got to tell you, in all of history, there was no more famous fight than the battle between David and Goliath, even though it was not even a single round. It was a one-sided knockout victory for David. Right before it even started, it was over. But listen, though it was quick, the stakes could not have been higher. And that's where spiritual warfare comes in. When you and I are in a battle, it's always because the enemy knows the stakes are high. We usually experience our most ferocious attacks from the enemy either right before a great victory or right after a great victory. Because the enemy knows things that we don't know. Though he is not omnipresent, he's not omnipotent, he's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. There's things he wishes he knew. But the enemy can tell when God's about to do something, and so he will come, he will come like a Goliath, and he will challenge our faith right before a great victory. And it's always when the stakes are high, higher than we realize, he attacks. Now, let me show you this. Israel, at this time, was under its first king, Saul. Now, Israel was God's chosen people. They were called to make God known in the world. And they were ultimately, their highest call was Israel was anointed of God to be the vessel through which Messiah would come that Jesus, the Messiah, would be delivered into the world via the Jewish people. So we see in the Old Testament time and again, the enemy seeking to take out the entire Jewish race, as in the time of Esther, or to hinder their becoming what they were called to be in an attempt to block the arrival of Messiah, who was the devil's worst nightmare. So Saul started out well. Here he was. He's first king over Israel. God told them, don't try to get a king. Let me be your king. But they insisted. So now Saul is the first king and he starts out well, but he doesn't end well. No. He repeatedly failed in his obedience to God. He was impatient. He was petulant. He was lacking in trust towards God. He was disobedient continuously to the Lord's commands at key moments in time when obedience really mattered. And so he was ultimately disqualified from his position. Samuel said to him, the prophet Samuel said, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded to be a a commander uh, over his people, this new man. Of course, it was David. Because, he said to Saul, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Wow, disobedience 
carries a high price tag. From this point on, we see this man who was a head taller than all of the other men of Israel. He stood out. He was a standout guy. He, he looked like a modern-day super athlete. He was handsome. He was tall. He was impressive. He was charismatic. But his character was really lacking. And worst of all, the Bible says, the Spirit of the Lord had departed from him. And when the Spirit of the Lord departed from him, Saul spiraled down into the mouth of madness. Uh, we see escalating fits of despondency and outright paranoia. He starts believing that different people in the kingdom are out to get him. He really goes down into a tormented state of mind. And we see that along with, with their king in decline, that Israel went in decline with him. Because, see, leadership trickles down. Whatever the morality and the ethics are of your top leadership, that is going to trickle down into a nation. Weak leadership trickled down and it infected the entire nation of Israel so that they were only a shadow of what they used to be. It's important to remember about Israel that Israel in the past had been giant killers as God called them to be. There was the Philistines, the Ammonites, and all the otherites, and these different Hittites, and the, these giants, Edomites, all of them, the, these giants in the land. And God had called Israel to defeat giants. I want you to catch that. Israel was called to conquer giants. They were called to bring down the impossible. through God. But now we see them defeated. They're only a shadow of what they once had been. They're weak militarily. They're weak spiritually. They're weak in leadership. And Israel at this time, at this point in the game, was extremely vulnerable. God's chosen with this huge call. Vulnerable. Now, at that moment, enter Goliath. Timing is everything. Now listen to his message to them. His message was, send out your best warrior. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. We Philistines will serve you, Israel, if you can send out somebody that can whoop me and kill me. But if I prevail against him and kill him, you shall be our servants and you shall serve us, which is a totally horrific thought. These were pagans. These were godless people. These were horrible, cruel people. And he said, if I win the battle, then the whole nation of Israel will serve me and us. Everything was on the line. You ever been in a battle like that when everything was on the line? Have you ever really been in a battle where everything was on the line? Everything. Everything you valued, everything you cared about, everything you loved is on the line. God's chosen people, think of this, birthed through Abraham, delivered from Egypt, called to make God known in the world, are now on the verge of extinction. Reduced to slavery to the very giants God had called them to conquer. <laughs> Today we would say something wrong with that picture.
And there might be some things in your life today where if I were to look at it or somebody else would look at it and say, you know what, something's wrong with this picture. This isn't God's best for you. There's something wrong with this picture. This isn't what God wants for you. Now, Goliath in the Bible has always been a type of Satan. Know that. Like Satan, here's what Satan does, and here's what Goliath did. He's a mouthpiece for hell. Listen to what he said. He he taunted God's people. He taunted them. He mocked their faith, blasphemed their God, threatened them, and sought to strip them of their freedom, which the enemy always tries to do. He always wants to take away from you your freedom, your liberty, and bring you into some kind of bondage. Goliath really was the consummate devil's bully. And not one thing has changed. Listen carefully, church. God's people are still attacked by giants. And they mock our faith. They blaspheme our God. They threaten us. And they seek to bring us into slavery to themselves. To this day, though though Goliath was physical, we have invisible enemies who think and talk and do exactly the same thing. He was only a personification of the devil. And that's why I'm doing this series on warfare. It's going to be good. It's going to change your life. Some of you are about to watch a giant in your life fall. I believe that. But let's face it, and I'm going to shoot straight with you. Giants are real. They're they're not a figment of our imagination. They're not something that we sit around and dream up. Giants are real. They are real problems. They are real pressures. They are real pains. They are real persecutions. And we face them from time to time throughout life because we are in a battle. The the New Testament tells us clearly in Ephesians 6, we battle not against flesh and blood, not not a flesh and blood Goliath like David did, but we are up against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. And, and those, four, those four levels are a hierarchy of satanic beings that are organized into a hierarchy by Satan, their leader, to attack God's church and attack God's will and attack God himself. And when you became a Christian, guess what? Not only are you heaven bound now, but you've been drafted into the Lord's army, whether you like it or not. Amen. Many of you listening to me are facing a giant in your life right now. In case you wonder if you are, let me tell you how you define a giant. Here it is. A giant is anything that distracts you from your focus on God. Catch that. Because focus is everything. A giant will distract you away from your focus on God. Second, they detour you from your service for God. And they drain you of your passion for God. That's what giants do. That's what they come to do. They want to distract you from God. They want to detour you from following God. And they want to drain you of your zeal for God. Oh, I know it's real. Listen, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. This is what giants do. Have y'all realized that the devil is not playing softball, he's playing hardball. And, and, and when he comes to attack, he goes for the jugular. But I got good news for you, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Nevertheless, we do have an enemy. This is the very effect that 
Goliath had on Israel's army. Look at this. They were focused on Goliath, not God. Read 1 Samuel 17. And, and the army of Israel is going up to each other saying, have you seen Goliath? Have you seen that giant? Have you seen him? What are they doing? They're focused on the enemy and not on God. So, so they were focused on Goliath, not God. They were no longer serving God out of fear for Goliath. They're hiding in their tents, quivering. And all the passion for God that Israel was known for had dissipated. We see them quivering in their tents, distracted, detoured, and drained. If you were going to look at them and explain or describe them with three words, that would be it. They were distracted, detoured, and drained. Let me call out some of the giants you may be facing right now. Giant of resentment. Giant of fear. The giant of loneliness, that's a big one. Giant of guilt and shame. There are people that are not in church today because of guilt and shame. Giant of worry, giant of discouragement, the giant of jealousy, the giant of depression. Here's one, the giant of hopelessness. You wake up and you don't see any reason any longer to go on. And if that's you, if that's the way you're thinking, you see no reason to go on. I talked to a young man just a few days ago, and when he came to see me two days before that, he'd been in a hotel room with a gun to his head. And he said, Jeff, I saw no more future. And I said, well then, you were blinded because my God is a God of the future. I know the thoughts I think think of you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah 29, 11. My favorite verse. But see, you can know you're grappling with a giant when you don't see any future anymore. Because the Lord has a future for you. He's got a purpose for you. He's got a plan for you. And he wants you to walk that thing out. How about the giant of bitterness or doubt? Or here's one, some addiction, some stubborn habit that keeps on getting the victory over you. And though there are many things in your life that are right, there's this one giant, that one thing, that one area, that one, that one thing that keeps taking you down. It's your Goliath. And that Goliath in that area of your life taunts you and challenges God in your life. He distracts you and detours you and drains you from being what God intended you to be. Because, boy, the devil fears people who have been set free and know it, who have been forgiven and know it, who are no longer condemned and know it, who know what their pl- God's plan is for them and they intend to go for it, people who will not back down, bend, or break in the presence of the enemy, but people who have grown a spine and have said, I don't care what hell throws at me, I'm going to finish what God has given me to do and nothing is going to stop me. So the primary purpose for this spiritual warfare series is this. The giants in our lives must be defeated and they must be removed. They must be defeated because on the other side of your giant is a great victory and many people who need to be set free like you're being set free. So let's go to this well-known account of David and Goliath. And let me just point out a couple of things uh, just to lay the groundwork for this series this, this month. Let me just bring out a couple of things that I see. First of all, the battle with Goliath took place in a valley. It didn't take place in a mountaintop or a level plain. It took place in a valley, as the video that was so well done showed us. That valley. The the, the enemy met them in a valley 
experience. The Bible says Israel encamped in the valley of Elah. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side. Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And when Goliath said, come and meet me, he wanted to meet them in the valley. It's in the valleys we have our most intense battles when we're in a valley. Because you know why? In a valley, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable in a valley. And Israel couldn't have been more vulnerable at this time. The Bible talks about several kinds of valleys. It says a lot about valleys. Joshua talks about the valley of calamity. Psalms 84 talks about the valley of weeping. Hosea talks about the valley of trouble. And and David saw valleys as a place of shadows because that's what they are. Valleys are places of shadows. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Valleys are places that don't receive direct sun. They can't. It's blocked. So they are cast with shadows. They are cast with shadows. David's valley in Psalms 23 actually means in the Hebrew language, the valley of deep darkness. Yea, though I walk through the valley of deep darkness with shadows cast all around me, I will not fear. I will not fear. One Bible translation reads, even when I walk through the darkest valley, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Now, here's the deal. It's our souls that go through valley experiences when we seem to be cast with shadows. And can I tell you something, dear church, born again, children of God, there is nothing wrong with this. Peter said, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial that has come to try you. So if you're going through a valley, don't go, well, where's my faith? What's wrong with me? If I had good faith, this wouldn't be happening. No, every child of God goes through valleys. David was in a soul valley, for instance, when he wrote these words. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? He's talking to his soul. Where was he? He was in a valley. Valleys are lonely. Valleys can be desperate places. Even though God is with you, you can feel very desperate in a valley. You feel like nobody understands the valley you're in. You talk to some people and they say, well, just have faith. And you just want to slap them. Well, just have faith. Where's your faith? Well, I think my faith is intact, dude, but I'm in a valley. <laughs> or just praise the Lord. How many of you ever wanted to choke a child of God? Come on. Okay. Valleys can be unnerving. They can be unsettling. I'd much rather be on a mountaintop than in the valley. But I've learned through the years, listen, valleys don't last forever. Weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen. It's it's cloudy out there today, but I guarantee you we all know it's not going to last. The sun will shine again. So valleys are only temporary places we pass through and we learn things in those valleys that we must know to go to the next level. Let me give you some free advice. If you're in a valley, the best way to get out of it is keep on walking. I'm going to say it again. Keep on walking. I know people that have built their houses in a valley. 
I know people that have bought their burial plots in a valley. Listen, the Lord does not intend for you to stay in the valley. He says, though I walk through, through, through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to stay. I'm not going to pitch my tent here. I'm just passing through. So keep on walking. I love that song by Stephen Annie Chapman. I can hear it in my mind. Keep on walking. You don't know how far you've gone. Keep on walking. For all you know, it may be done. And the Father might be standing up right now to make the call to end it all. So keep on walking. Keep on walking. And there's really, really good news in, 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 uh, regarding valleys that have giants in them. It's in the valley where the richest fruit is grown. Don't ever forget that. It's in the valley where the richest fruit is grown. Mountaintops don't have anything up there. I had climbed one mountain in my life, Pecos Baldy, in New Mexico. And when we got way to the top, there was only one thing up there, snow. And that's it. But down in the valley, lush trees and vegetation and all kinds of beautiful flowers, those were in the valley. And God grows our greatest fruit when we're in valley experiences. That's why David said in the valley of the shadow, you are with me. You're with me. You're not just with them. You're with me. It's in the valley that we feel that strong, gentle hand take our hand and say, Jeff, Bill, Sue, Kathy, Melanie, take my hand because I'm going to introduce myself to you in a way that you have not known me until you get into this valley. You're going to learn to access the word. You're going to learn to pray. You're going to learn to trust. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for I know you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I know that you've gone ahead of me, and you're preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My enemy is going to have to sit back and watch and grit his teeth when you bless me when I get to the other side. Israel encountered the giant of all giants in a valley. But that valley was the place of their greatest victory. It's where Goliath came down. Perhaps you're in a valley today, and in that valley you're in right now, you've encountered the biggest giant of your life. Can I tell you, your giant is not greater. I'm going to say it again. Your giant is not greater. I don't care how big he is, how tall he is, how strong he is, how persistent he is. He is not greater than the one who lives inside of you, the Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate giant killer. So I want you to say with me, he's with me in the valley. Even when there's giants there. Now he, he will allow us into valley experiences when giants are there to teach us. I want you to please understand this. Jesus is always the teacher. Whether you're on a mountaintop, he's the teacher. In a valley, he's the teacher. On a level playing field, he's always the teacher. He's always there, ready to instruct if we will listen. Teacher, they called him. Rabbi, teacher. What about this? What about that? He's always the teacher. Now, keep that in mind because next we see the Philistines' favorite method of operation. What they decided to do with the Israelites was this. a, A campaign of bullying. A bully campaign. Bullying's big in our day. If you read much news, you know that there are teenagers that are actually literally taking their lives after being bullied so much in schools. Bullying. 
talking about the way you look, talking about the way you act, talking about something about you, or just because somebody decides they don't like you, they decide to bully you. Boy, I had a bully in school. He was a monster. And I was a skinny little guy. And I I learned how to get out of trouble with my mouth because I couldn't fight my way out real good because I was so skinny and little. I was. Don't look at me sad. I'm not (laughs) self-pity. I was just a little guy. But there was this bully. Every day after school, he came after me. Every day after school, he came to find me. And, he, and all when I would see him in the hall during the day, he would say, Wickwire, today, I'm going to find you after school. And I began to live in fear. He's going to find me. He's going to find me. I know he's going to find me. And one day, I had a friend. His name was Jim. Jim was huge. I brought Jim as a friend. I said, Jim, let's be friends. <laughs> one day, one day, he says to me, what's that dude, what's that guy saying to you? Oh, he threatens me every day. He said, today, you walk out where he sees you. I'm going to be right there. All right. <laughs> I like this. Seriously. And <laughs> so I... I after school was out, nah, 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 there goes the bell. Usually that would cause me to panic and fear and I have to run and hide from the bully. But this time, Jim was there and I said, okay, I'm going out that door. I saw him and I just started walking out. He came right up to me. Jim stepped between me and him and said, what's your problem? He said, nothing. <laughs> he said, I think you need to move on. And he walked away. And I learned something right then. Hide behind the stronger person. (laughs) Right? Now, I got another one that stands up for me. His name is Jesus. Amen. Come on, everybody. And when the bully comes after me, I just get out of the way. I say, Jesus, take care of it. And he says, what are you doing? And the bully always says, I got nothing to say. I'll see you later. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Our victory is not due to ourselves. It is Christ in us who is the hope of glory. But Israel had forgotten how to hide behind God. And so here comes the bully. He was frightening Goliath. He was an overwhelming monster of a man. You know, he checked in at nine feet tall and some change. He was a beast. He's two feet taller than Shaq. He could walk up to a basketball goal and just drop it through. His booming voice echoed through the valley like it was shouted from a modern day concert speaker. It echoed. His dark countenance, his mocking grin were the stuff of nightmares, I'll guarantee you. He was armed head to toe with armor that purposefully glistened in the sun with blinding brilliance. You couldn't even see when you looked at him. You were blinded by what flashed off his armor. He was like an Old Testament army tank. He was a fully weaponized killing machine. Goliath. And the Goliath intimidation campaign worked. Because verse 11 says, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. God's people, look at what he did to them. Dismayed and terrified. 
Can I translate that for you in the modern Wickwire version? They were scared spitless. <laughs> and this is what giants do. They distract you, they deter you, they drain you through intimidation and discouragement like some of you feel today. It's what your giant is attempting to do to you right now. He wants to disarm you by detouring you and distracting you and draining you. Have you noticed we live in a culture that is increasingly taking on the same modus operandi of Goliath? Intimidation is the tactic of our day. Hello? A godless, backslidden, reprobate culture has now taken on the characteristics of Goliath and political correctness is the spearhead of Satan's modern-day intimidation campaign. Oh, it's there and it's real. Watch what you say that you don't offend somebody. Keep your mouth shut with all that God stuff. Don't you dare call sin sin. Who are you to judge? Don't judge in any way, shape, or form what others do, even though what they're doing is totally wrong and sometimes truly insane. But don't say it. Keep your mouth shut. Stay in your tent, in your building, in your church bubble, and don't come out and try to influence the culture. Because who are you to judge? I hate it. I despise political correctness. You know why? Because it takes away my freedom. It muzzles me. It makes me lie. It, it, I can't tell the truth. And so I defy it. And I want you to defy it. Satan is in, attempting to intimidate the church into silence. He wants us right where Israel was, quivering in our tents, dismayed and terrified. What God's looking for is a church with a spine. What God is looking for is what was in the early church. In the days of the early church, the disciples refused to be intimidated by Rome's threats. Rome took them aside, beat them bloody, and then said to them, don't preach in the name of Jesus. But the Bible says they looked them in the eye and said, we must obey God rather than men. And they went right out and preached in the name of Jesus. You say, well, Pastor, you're sounding kind of radical. No, this is normal Christianity. We're so used to subnormal, we don't know normal when we see it. Are you ready? The early church was fearless. They were bold. They, un they were unstoppable. If they had yielded to Satan's intimidation campaign in the early church, we wouldn't have a Bible. We wouldn't be here today. Peter was defeated by the giant of intimidation. At Jesus' arrest, he denied him three times, but the Lord gave him a second chance. And Peter won the battle against that giant, stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached for three minutes and 3,000 people were saved, 1,000 for every minute. And from then on, he was a lion and not a lamb. He got over it. And there's another type of intimidation I want to talk to you about today. just want to mention it. Many of you listening to me right now have been intimidated and beaten down. And the Goliath is this, your personal failure. There's personal failure and there's some shame and there's some discouragement because there is something in your life that keeps on defeating you. And because of that, you're, you feel shame. Like I said, there's people not in church today because they woke up and the, the Goliath said to them, who are you to go to church? Who are you to go praise God? Who are you to pray? And certainly who are you to talk about Jesus when look at your own life? 
the Goliath giant in your life accuses you, shames you, and tries to use your failures to silence you. He mocks your God. He defies his purposes for you, and he taunts your faith. He really basically says, where is your God? And that's what Goliath was saying to Israel. Where is your God? Where is your God? Come on. I'll I'll whoop any one of you. You come on. Where is your God? And what bothered David more than anything else, he said, how dare he defy my God? Man, I wish we felt that way today. I think some of us do. But don't you just get mad when the culture, our culture, seems to be on a fast track to disaster and destruction, and they don't care what God thinks about anything. Don't you want, finally want to just stand up and say, how dare you defy the creator God, you fool. <laughs> well, Jeff, you're feeling salty today. I am. <laughs> I'm feeling, I mean, this is, listen, this is just, this is the way messages used to be preached before political correctness got a hold of the church. We're glad he's asking the question, where is your God? Because I want to end with this one thing. In the valley of warfare, oh, catch this church. In, the, in their valley of warfare, when everything was on the line, that's when their champion was revealed. Think about it. From Saul to the army to the people. No one knew much about little David at all, except he's a little shepherd boy over there in the field taking care of a few sheep, like his brother said to him. They knew him as shepherd, but they didn't know what else was in him. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. They knew him as the shepherd boy, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the one that played the harp. But they did not know that in him was a champion, was a giant killer until they got in the valley with a Goliath and had to find it out. And how is it that it's in our valleys when we don't know where else to go or where else to turn or what else to do that the Lord comes up to us and says, hey, I'm more than your shepherd I'm more than just a shepherd that keeps his sheep and makes sure you get to heaven one day, but I am your giant killer. See, a lot of us, we just think, well, I got saved to go to heaven someday, and that's where it all stops. But no, the Lord saved you to take over your life Acre by acre by acre. And on all the acreage parts of your soul are giants that established themselves before you were saved. And the Lord begins to conquer those giants one after another after another. And we learn in the valley that what we thought was a catastrophe, oh, we're in such trouble. Listen, what looked like Israel's catastrophe was really God's opportunity to introduce to them their deliverer. And so David steps forth, this little shepherd guy that nobody would ever have looked at twice. And he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he defies the armies of the living God? Let no man's heart fail because of him, because I will go and I will fight him and God will give him to me. So can I tell you, the Lord allows us to get into a valley 
so that we will learn something about him we did not know before. Wow, when I look to Jesus, not only as my savior and my shepherd and my guide, but as my giant killer, he is able to overcome and defeat the giants of my life that are bigger than me, but not bigger than him. Is anybody hearing me today? Come on. I love that old Andre Crouch song, if I'd never had a problem, I'd never know that God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in his word could do. I got into a terrible valley right after God called me. A giant attacked my life. And I'm going to tell you, everything was on the line. And I didn't know what to do. And I didn't know where to turn. It was a giant of fear. It just came from nowhere, and it began to attack me night and day and day and night, and it taunted my faith and taunted my God and basically said to me, where is your God? Because you're not free. Look at this fear that is tormenting your life. And finally, one day in desperation, I said, Lord, what do I do? And he sent a word to me. You know, it says he sent his word and healed them. He sent a word to me, and he said, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring your soul. And it was just, just a, a rainbow word like an arrow that was shot straight into my heart. And I heard it and it moved me. It was to me. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring your mind. Because it was in the mind where I was under attack. So I began to memorize large portions of the word of God. Jesus came up to me in the valley and said, not only am I going to lead you through as your shepherd, but I'm going to arm you in this valley. I'm going to teach you how to fight in this valley. And a lot of the, the, the conviction you hear in my voice when I preach the Word of God, the conviction you hear, the certainty you hear, I learned it not on a mountaintop, but in the valley. And I began to see the Word of God is quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's better than a knight's sword. Piercing cutting and discerning and defeating the devil. I came out on the other side of that valley with a depth and a breadth to my ministry I didn't have before I went in. And that's where you are. God's going to arm you in the valley. There's a giant killer living inside of you. Can we stand together today? I just want to ask us to lift our hands to the Lord.